I remember after school every day I was allowed to hit that dial-up modem and listen. If we still think we have our freedom, we're blind. Social media could be the key cause for the next American Civil War. You start thinking about something and it'll often turn up in your feed. The computers have taken over the world. They're learning things that not even the creators know. If somebody is worried about the government knowing something about them, it's probably too late. The future belongs to those who control the culture, and the culture belongs to those who control the conversation. So we're having the conversations you wish you could have at church to build a safe and vibrant community. This is the Oz Table Talk Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Oz Table Talk. My name is Luke and I'm here at the table with Dave and Ben. Hey guys, how are you doing? Good, thanks Luke. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm um, not too bad. I'm I'm just glad to be hanging out with you guys. <laughs> Can we just sort say of feels... that without the sigh? <laughs> yeah, well it's kind of like really big day and so when I, when I come off the end of it all, it's sort of like, oh, at least I get to hang out with you guys tonight and so it's sort mm-hmm. of like everything else gets to melt away and I get to... Be be myself. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, today's been pretty good, and I I attended another tax conference, so <laughs> I had some fun with that. Okay. Yep. That is such a funny sentence. Today's been pretty good. I attended a tax conference. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how many people in the world could use that that sentence, uh, and it be accurate, Ben. <laughs> Actually, how that... many accountants are there? Yeah, well, I was just about to say. Is that the general rule for accountants, Ben? Like, do they all love it? Like, all the people that, that go to these things, are they, like, do they feel the same way that you do? Or are they just like, yeah, it's a job, you know, I'm just sort of passive about it? I, I guess it'd be a, a fair mix of it. I mean, from the people who think, oh, I can't, I can't believe I'm doing tax to the, um, the you remember the H&R block um, yeah. ad? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, with the lady sitting in the back going, going, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. I know that's how I feel when I do taxes. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, it's it it's such a buzz when you can save somebody, you work out how to save them a few thousand dollars and yeah, it's it, it's a real high for me, so <laughs> yeah. I'd say they're probably pretty pretty fond of the idea of saving a few thousand dollars too. <laughs> yeah, clients are always happy. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't suppose I should pay out on you too mad. Sorry, I was just going to say, and here ends our sponsored section of the show. So everyone go to Ben Ludlow Accounting. <laughs> uh, anyway, guys, um, before we uh, before we get through to our topic, uh, we do have a Humans of Adventism question to answer. So who's got that one to share with us? I've got it here, and it is... What's the longest time you've gone without sleeping? Hmm... That one's actually like a really easy one for me because it's like sticks out in my mind because I remember standing and looking into the mirror in in the bathroom and saying to myself, 
you were just awake for 40 hours. <laughs> so actually, more accurately, I was awake for like three hours, 45 minutes. And I thought to myself, I have to stay awake for another 15 minutes because otherwise I'm not going to be able to say to people, I was awake for 40 hours. So, <laughs> Can I just ask you to address the mathematics there, Luke? You said you were awake for three hours, 45 minutes, and then 15 minutes later, you were awake for 40 hours. <laughs> okay, I think that demonstrates that I'm a little tired. I was awake for 39 hours and 45 minutes. <laughs> math uh, math is hard. <laughs> Wait a second. Is, is, is that appropriate to call that math when it's actually time? Because uh, it's not it's a an equation, so it's an, yeah, it an equation. we'll call it math. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but to answer the question of why I was awake for 40 hours, uh, that would be, it was an all-night prayer thing at church. So I was up in the morning, did the church thing, hung out with it with friends in the afternoon, and then the the prayer uh, vigil started in the evening and ran through to the following morning. But then, you know, who wants to go to sleep in the morning, right? So I just rode it out for the rest of the day and, yeah, crashed that night. So Was that one of the ones that they ran at Harvey Bay? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. I've attended one of those. At the one at Harvey Bay? Like, yeah, one of the yeah, ones, yeah. Yeah, well, we've only did it once, so you, it must have been the same one. <laughs> okay, yeah. Or at least I, I reckon I probably once. stayed up for about the same amount of time at that one. Yeah. Not the longest for me, but uh, longest for me would have been about 60 hours, and it was a lot less fun It would have because I had a migraine and just could not sleep. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a that's a very uh, like unsexy answer, but it's a very accurate <laughs> one. So <laughs> Pain will do that. I'd never taken aspirin ever before that, and I got introduced to that, fixed mm. it right up. Really? And yeah, and then shortly after that, I found out how easy aspirin is to get your hands on. It's a case of, well, I feel stupid. I didn't have to <laughs> suffer for three days. Because <laughs> well, aspirin really is a fairly low-grade pain medication, so uh, it's cool uh, that it works so well for you. Well, if you've never taken it in your entire life, it works really, really well. It doesn't mm. work for me as well these days, but I try and... Keep it to a minimum to keep its effectiveness high. Yeah. Ah, cool. What about you, Dave? Uh, I, I don't know how how long I've stayed up before, but I've, I've done a couple of all-nighters. Once was uh, similar to you. We had an all-night prayer thing just to be not so sheltered, though. Uh, I also had a, an all-nighter with some friends uh, when I was like six, mm -hmm. um, which is unbelievable now looking back on it that we were allowed to stay up all night when I was six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went over to a, to a friend's place for a sleepover, a friend from school. And the the annoying thing about that for me, and Ben, you're not going to find this annoying at all. I don't know about mm. you, Luke, but um, my friends put Star Wars on. And mm. I, I don't like Star Wars. I don't, I don't understand Star Wars, especially mm. not as a six-year-old. But because they all fell asleep on me, I had to watch it because it was the only thing going on in the room. Um, <laughs> so I was sort of forced to observe Star Wars for a while on my all-nighter. <laughs> and you were the only one awake. Yeah, yeah. I was just the I was the most stubborn person in the room. Apparently, <laughs> everyone else fell asleep, and I'm like, I shall not. <laughs> uh, I, I got I got such good memories of like th th those sort of things. No, I don't necessarily mean you know trying to fight off sleep while watching Star Wars, but I, I mean like th those kind of things. Being the most stubborn person in the room, we've all done it, but it doesn't make sense, really, does it? <laughs> being stubborn. As in, like, being stubborn, like, I will not fall to sleep. I will not fall to sleep. Uh, yes. I will put myself under un unnecessary stress. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. It's all right when you're um, 
teens, early 20s, you just Six. bounced right off. Mm. I mean, I used to do it all the time for lands and things. Yeah. So, that- for those who probably don't know, that's a um, <laughs> n- local area network, so you get together and you play computer games all night. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> yeah. we, we need a glossary for this episode. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, if I said that, Tiff would just look at me and go, what? Yeah, mm. yeah, no, that's fair enough. It's funny because the first time I ever heard of a land party, I, I assumed it had something to do with lanterns. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know anything about computer games. Uh, uh, yeah. No, that, that wasn't your uh, discipline of choice. Uh. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it's so Anyways. funny. Yeah, it's so funny how like we've all had such different experiences which sort of all but all arrive in the same place on the same podcast but yeah it's so good to hear from, mm-hmm. like what it's like for each of us g- growing up and how he responded but yeah anyway the purpose of this particular episode it, we're going to be dealing with the topic should we fear big data and social networks and look i i, I say that what i said before about us all having different experiences is probably going to show through a fair bit in this episode because i know uh, the three of us, we've all had pretty different experiences as far as social networks and technology in general. So we should be coming at this from fairly diverse perspectives. But uh, I thought just for us to get underway, uh, what has your relationship with social media been like? Like just for, from your perspective, guys. I think the first time I ever engaged with social media was back in the days of MSN. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Remember MSN? Mm. I thought you'd be too clunky, young for that. Clunky, clunky. Sorry? I thought you'd be too young for that. <laughs> <laughs> too, 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 young, too young for MySpace. Oh, oh okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Feel that burn, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that one. I never bothered with MySpace. <laughs> yeah. I set up an account there, but I never really used it. So. so, I don't feel too bad, but I do remember it. It was still a thing. So... <laughs> mm. uh. Uh, I, I I say that because um, I thought it would be cool to go on MSN uh, because some friends of mine were, you know, doing the whole MSN thing. And mm. then I used it like, I don't know, a couple of times. Mm. And I think I might have had like three or four people that I spoke to on MSN in my whole MSN career. And that that was it. It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't what I anticipated anyway. I thought it was going to be super cool. But mm. for me at least... I just didn't... I never gelled with it. And I, I'm, to be honest, I've never really gelled with social media since either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I used it regularly um, until I really moved over to Facebook, which... I th- was it early 2008? I think I might have moved over to that. Mm-hmm. So, and... Yeah, it, I found it was taking up too much time. I think I was spending like four hours a day on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. a a few years after that, I just quit and I've only recently rejoined the world of social media. And that's more because of one, this podcast, and two, I need it for work. So that's the main reason why I'm on there is to connect with our listeners, mm-hmm. but also to I, I I work in the digital space, so I, I need it. So so yep. the best thing is I'm not on at four hours a day anymore. So I'm on there only maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. switch over to Facebook late, or was it just really that late that Facebook was introduced? Because that seems late to me. No, I I don't think it was really, really big in 2008. I mean, I'm a fairly late adopter to things, so it probably was around for a couple of years, but yeah, I don't think it was that old at that point. Yeah, Yeah, Facebook started in 
uh, as a student directory in 2003. And I'm just having a look. Like first, like when it started to actually grow, like when it started receiving investments and that sort of thing, wasn't until 2004. That was its f the first investor and yeah, sort of started scaling up from there. So yeah, pro probably to be fair, it was probably around that time. So 2006, 7, 8, like through that sort of time frame would have been when it started to take up some speed. So, sorry, just... Yeah, there just would have been a few people just on Just hitting it because, Wikipedia, so... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I was, move over to things usually real early. I mean, I'm a lot better these days, but back then I was definitely classified as a late adopter to any sort of technology. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me, me too. I was just curious because I, I remember it being involved in my high school and I was out of high school in 2008, so... Mm -hmm. it, yeah, obviously it was, it was smaller, but it was obviously a little bit before that. How about yeah. you, Luke? Have you always been a, a social media junkie? Um, yes and no. So, <laughs> yes and no. So I I started well similar to you, like really like playing with MSN, talking to friends on there. Like I remember after school every day, I was allowed to hit that dial-up modem and listen to those funky sounds while it connects, and you know hop on MSN and see if anyone I knew was on. So uh, which I just thought was the height of cool. You know, mostly because we lived uh, we lived a long way out of town so I, I didn't have you know hardly any friends that were local and so for me it was kind of a bit, a bit more of a necessity i guess if i wanted to connect with my friends so um i i utilized that a fair bit and, and i just continued to use it like been transitioned into into facebook and if anyone remembers like bebo and some of those like more le lesser known ones that were out there but yeah that was kind of the thing. I used it a fair bit until I also got to the place where I realized it was just taking up heaps of my time. It was starting to affect my studies and all mm. of that. And so I decided, yeah, this has probably run its course with me because I can't... I've I tried all the different things. You know, oh, I'll just be on it less often. You know, I'll limit myself to X amount of time per day. And I tried all those things, but I just found that I don't do moderation well. I'm very binary in that way. So mm -hmm. um, I just jumped off. And so I was off Facebook from 2009 until 2016. So 2016, I got back on, uh, which coincidentally, that's when table talk started right <laughs> so um yeah yeah just because I, I it was something that was necessary just to be able to share the message about what we were doing and it's something i was passionate mm -hmm. about and so i joined to be more purposeful about it and now i use social media more than i ever have before but yeah like ben was saying for me i'm a web consultant so i kind of have to um yeah so yeah i utilize facebook a fair bit instagram probably more so for my personal like browsing and whatever because i got a few different things that i use it for but yeah that's probably the main what's your favorite platform uh depends what i want it for so i, I would say uh for my own personal use i like instagram i, I don't know i just actually oh, actually let me rephrase that I will I will shift that and I will say for ideas Twitter like if I if I want my if I want to be mentally stimulated or challenged I will hit Twitter and so I really I really like the quality of the thought there at least in the bubble of Twitter that I'm in like I hear a lot of people say that there's a lot of rubbish on there and there is but I've curated the people that I follow pretty well on Twitter and so I get a lot of exactly what I want which is pretty cool uh, yeah then then Instagram then Facebook so so but ha having said all of that, you know, the point that we're getting at here is, you know, should we fear it? Because obviously Ben and I, you know, we both jumped off there with a fair degree of intentionality, but there's a lot of people out there that, you know, just will straight up say that, you know, social networks are evil and that we should stay away from them. And what is it, what is it that people fear? Like why, why are people worried about 
big data and and having and you know these large organizations having all of this information on us i've no idea i guess idea. it's it's cuz they're always looking over our shoulder they they've got so much data on us that it's the conclusions they come to is really quite creepy at times you you start thinking about something and it'll often turn up in your feed <laughs> actually it's true right like and it's it's a case of them knowing us better than we know ourselves in in some cases it's like well Everybody that likes, you know, this these five different things. Everyone else that likes those five different things, they also like this you know, number six thing. And so let's show them number six thing. And yeah, you know, ideally, well, you know, probably because they know human psychology so well, it's fair. There's a fair degree of likelihood that you're going to jump on that, and it becomes mm-hmm. more and more spooky over time because they amass greater and greater information on you and this has come this has come to the forefront of media a lot more lately because uh, there's been the documentary that's been uh, released um, the social dilemma uh, i don't know if have you have either of you guys seen that dave i know no, you're buried in university but um, ben? I, I actually i saw it the other day and i put it on my wish list for when i'm on holidays okay okay cool um i, I thought it was fascinating because i watched it last week or week before because i, I thought it would be uh, just interesting to hear the perspective of the people who worked at those companies. And they've got a lot of the engineers that they're interviewing from Facebook and Instagram and people who have actually worked on those platforms. They've got the lie that, the lie, the guy that introduced the like button and yeah, a few of the other like big things that we just consider to be a normal part of technology. They're the guys that made it. And mm-hmm. I really love their perspective because I think a lot of people get, get all caught up on, especially if they've got... Uh, a similar eschatology to us. So if, if they believe that at the end of time, the government is going to be against the people and it's going to be this dystopian future for the people of God, the people that, that hold that sort of a belief about Scripture, and I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, I would agree with a lot of those conclusions. But once you believe that, then people start looking at uh, tools like Facebook or whatever, where they're collecting this huge amounts of data on people they look at that as big brother looking over your shoulder and one day that's going to be the, or at least one of the things that brings an end to your freedom, How, however that is, people look at that. I can see that there is a legitimate case for that may be the case, but from my perspective, if somebody is worried about the government knowing something about them, it's probably too late. You know, if the government want to know something about you, they probably already know and they probably don't need Facebook to help them do that. Certainly not. I mean, just think about the, was it every, I can't remember how many years it is, but the country census, um, where they collect all our um, various data for, for the government. I mean, we hand over a whole bunch of data just with that, and the government's been doing it for centuries. Hmm. And so they know who of us are believe what's things and that sort of stuff. Hmm. Yeah, what can were you I, say can I just ask a question? Mm. Um, mm. You've been referring to... This group of, well, I don't know, but you've been saying they, 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 they this whole time, Luke, and I have no, no idea what you're talking about when you say they. Who is they? As it, is it a, is it, are you talking about robots? Or are you talking about people? Are you talking about governments? Uh, okay, who's so they? You mean they as in the people that are afraid of it or who they're afraid of? No, no, you, you were referring to, you know, they are collecting all this data and they, oh, are, yes. they are doing okay. this and they are doing that. Who, yeah. who are the they? The they that I'm referring to are large-scale corporations and governments. So so you're saying that the data collection is being is being overseen by governments and large-scale corporations. Yeah. 
And so when you say, should we fear big data, are you actually talking about those bodies of people or are you talking about, what are you talking about? Okay, so big data is basically just a, a blanket term for when an organization collects a large amount of data and uses that to cross-reference and learn, you know, in some cases, unexpected things about individuals for use for their own purposes. So, you know, an example of this is when, you know, Google will observe your browsing habits or Facebook will observe your browsing habits and then say, okay, well then, because all of this is true about you and I know all of these things about your habits, then therefore I, I will market to you this gadget gizmo, whatever. So that's a usage of big data for pe- for the gain of a company. Right, but is that happening? Like, is this a nebulous term, this word big data, or is, are you saying people are actively doing that, or is it just automated processes? Uh, it's automated processes. This is one of the, the things that uh, is really quite interesting, that using Facebook as an example, wh- or even Google, why it will show a certain person a certain piece of content even the people that created those platforms can't explain why anymore because of machine learning, right? They they have trained the algorithms to teach themselves. And so the algorithms observe what you do, how long you hover on on a certain photo in your feed, how how many times you, you tap like on somebody else's thing, whatever. It measures all of that. You're shaking your head. This is not the answer you want, right? No, I'm just... It sounds like a, a a movie, man. It's like the computers <laughs> yeah. have taken over the world. They're, they're learning things that not even the creators know. Yeah, but it, in <laughs> it that literally t- sounds like some sci-fi movie. <laughs> well, in a sense, that's what we're living in, though. And the, the challenge is here is what I what I think the the real thing is, right? I think that the question is: Can people use these for for bad things to do bad things? Yes, they can. Is that their motivation? I don't believe so. I think that it is a natural product of the business model that they have selected. And I think that does create problems, but not the problems that people think, right? So the people that are worried about big da- big data, so to speak, or you know, they're wor- worried about these large corporations spying on them and understanding what they do and they don't want to hand over their, their data, they want their privacy... Great, that's all fine. But I don't actually believe that those organizations are trying to do you harm. But I believe that those organizations are motivated by money and those and those and that money comes from people who advertise on their platforms. And the way that they get more money is to keep you with your attention focused on their platform for as long as possible. And so do I think that they are utilizing, you know, principles of human psychology to addict people to their platforms? Absolutely. Is it mm-hmm. consciously to hurt the person? No. Is it to make money? Yes. Well, there are other arguments that are being popped up recently. Um, mm-hmm. Have you seen the discussion about whether the West should be banning TikTok? Because yes. it is oh, ultimately, yeah, its parent company is Chinese-owned. Mm. And so, but, why, so just, just in case someone's not familiar with what's going on with that, why is that a scary thing? Why is that a bad thing? Because it's the same argument. It's use of big data for and China gets all our personal data. But a lot of a lot of Western governments have already decided. Well, it's not that big a deal. We're not going to ban it because what's China ultimately going to learn from that, which they can't you, get from other sources? You mean Russia, right? No, China. Russia or China? It's China. Okay. China. China. The parent company of TikTok is a. Uh, one of those jointly owned companies, so part private, part state public owned um, in China. 
So mm. if if the Communist Party ever wanted the data from that company, they could easily grab it. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I, I, I bet they'll think they've got it made now they've finally got all those cat videos. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there there is some problems. For example, the protesters in Hong Kong, um, it could expose them. But mm. if you're out of the reach of the um, Communist Party itself, you're pretty right. Mm. I'm, I am one of those people who has no idea what you're talking about. So, can, can I just ask, why would we care about any other country specifically having our data? What 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 difference is that going to make? I think about the only only real risk is online scams that um, pop up. But if you're vigilant, that's not really a problem. I I usually have to deal with quite a lot um, to do with um, scams for my clients because they'll ring up and somebody from the tax office is screaming down the phone at them because they owe all this money and they want to be paid in Apple gift cards. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. the ATO okay. often needs Apple gift cards. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not joking, that has popped up. Yeah, yeah I've heard of that before. Yeah, okay. It, it just seems it seems ludicrous to me that we would be so paranoid about, mm-hmm. you know, the fact that TikTok is owned by China mm-hmm. that we'd be like, whoa, 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 let's cancel this thing in the Western market because China could get our data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really? Well, uh, that's, I mean, in the US, um, they, as an example, US government, they, they declare, I think it's... I can't remember if it's all of their um, defense personnel or, or, or secret service or whatever it was. But anyway, like all of their internal people, they had to uh, sign a, a document stating that, you know, they're not allowed to have TikTok on their phones or any of their family members because if hypothetically a, a kid was to uh, post a video of their dad who happens to be a CIA operative and that data is then mined by China, then it creates a security risk. You know, that that's one of the examples of stuff that could happen. But, you know, that's pretty edge case scenario that's you know not really affecting most people. But Yeah, it's, it's not effective against the average person. And the counter-argument I saw to that was, well, with Facebook and all the rest of it, Google, um, they're all American companies, so America ultimately has that data on us then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And just to... <laughs> Which just is more dangerous... Like, <laughs> good question but just to just to sort of bring this around a little bit you know the the, the fear that a lot of people have is that uh you know if the government has this information that it will eventually impinge impinge on our freedoms right mm. and if we believe that uh, you know scripture teaches that at some point god's people are going to be persecuted again you know, I can see, I, I can see what they're what they're worried about with that, but I think it highlights. I think this desire or this fear highlights a a, a problem in our theology, and mm. I think that problem is that, of course, not that we should be irresponsible, but I think that if we think that our safety is going to be won or lost on whether we use social media or not, I think we've put got our faith and our trust in the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ever think about what's happening with the Victorian lockdown and everything else. The government has plenty of other tools at its disposal to keep track of the population. Oh, yeah. yeah. If yeah. we still think we have our freedom, we're blind. You know, like every measure is already in place to take that away from us, whether or not we have social media accounts or mm-hmm. mobile phones or any electronic devices or whatever. Mm. They know everything about us already. Like, yeah. if we're going to put our trust in that, then, you know, we've already lost the battle as far as I'm concerned. 
Yeah. And I say that as a complete ignoramus. So if I'm telling, you know, nonsense, call me out. But yeah. it just seems nonsensical to me that that we would think in today's day and age where big data or whoever you want to call them know everything about us already. Mm. Yeah. I just don't get it. Yeah. I, I get you. You know, probably one of the, the biggest issues with this, if we if we want to get to the real problem, you know, not just the stuff that people think is the problem. I think the real problem is probably highlighted best by Simon Sinek. Uh, he, he did a, a great presentation on, on this, talking about how millennials use uh, social media, and the same is true of Gen Z, of course. But talking about how most most people, when they have their coming of age, you know, they go through their adolescence and they learn to rely on the people that are around them to, in order to cope through life. And because we are living in an increasingly insular society, thanks to social media, we don't have to do that anymore. And because social media, you do get that little buzz, right? You know, you get a notification, someone tagged you in a picture. That's a, that is a little buzz that you get, right? And that little dopamine hit is addictive. And, while that may be something that we can manage as adults, if you if you have your entire uh, growing up feeding that dopamine cycle, then it becomes your coping mechanism, right? You know, it's it's like uh, as it, you know, if you give that to a thirteen year old child, that's uh, to a degree that's equivalent to saying, okay, you know what? If you ever get a little too stressed, you know, here's the keys to the liquor cabinet. It'll help you out. It'll calm you down. You know, you're giving them easy access to something that will numb momentary discomfort. And because they don't actually learn to deal with the discomfort, then they have, you know, these maladaptive things as they, as they grow uh, without actually learning how to manage their own emotions and to seek support from real people and all those sort of things. I think that mm. is probably the larger challenge here, that we're probably setting ourselves up for far higher rates of mental health issues and those sort of things because we are creating a crutch for an entire generation to use. I, I definitely agree. I mean... Think about these stories um, of our of our own experiences that we started off with. I mean, I, I was in my I was twenty when I gave up social media for the first time because it was beginning to take over my life. Hmm. Do you think that a thirteen year old or a fourteen year old will have that same level of control? No, absolutely not. And the fact of the matter is, I had to completely remove myself from the situation. Otherwise, I don't know where it would have led me. I mean, I was already spending four or five hours a day on it. That's that's obscene. <laughs> yeah. Just saying, you know, <laughs> don't check my screen time indicator. It could get fairly high sometimes. Yeah. It's a little bit different these days. I, I keep an eye on the same sort of thing just to make sure I'm, I'm not clicking up because mm. I, I am cautious that that could happen again. But mm. then I check and remember what I'm actually doing on there. Yeah. And... Probably only about the quarter of the time I'm on there, I'm actually consuming. Three quarters of the time, I'm off trying to grab ideas or create. Yes. I think there is a, uh, that is a really important distinction. And uh, to be honest, I find the same thing. You know, a lot of that, a lot of that uh, screen time on my phone is attached to communication with people, be it phone calls or text <laughs> messages or, you know, something like that. Yeah, very, that's true. I don't consume nearly as much of the time. But yeah, I think it's it's important for us to be aware of that, and that is the I think that is the real the real challenge with social media. I don't I don't think it's the, you know, the big brother looking over our shoulder that's the real issue. I think the real issue is mm -hmm. that 
one, it is, uh, you know, creating that crutch. But one thing that we haven't talked about that is really clear in that in that documentary, The Social Dilemma, and that is mm. the creation of echo chambers in our society. If, mm. if you stay on the platform more by seeing things that are more interesting to you, you, you know, just hypothetically, let's say politically, you are left-leaning. And so... Facebook recognizes that, and so it starts showing you more and more left-leaning content and more and more extreme left-leaning content over time. And because you only ever see that data set, you, your conclusions that you can reach will only be left-leaning conclusions because you're mm. having a, a, a selective view of the data that's available. If you are right-leaning, then the same thing's going to happen in reverse. You're only going to see the evidence for right-leaning positions, and that will force you further and further to the right, to the place where you'll be thinking the people on the left are utterly crazy, and you're essentially dehumanizing them. And this is something that we're seeing in America right now. There are literally, uh, like I was listening to one of the guys on the documentary, literally saying that he believes that social media could be the key cause for the next American civil war because it pushes the left so far to the left and the right so far to the right that they can no longer work in bipartisanship, that they cannot work together to run the country, that it will eventually get to the place where the country can no longer work together. And I think we see that not, and I, I use that politically as an example, but I think we're seeing exactly that in the church. People that exist mm-hmm. in the conservative end of the spectrum are getting progressively more conservative because online, it's a fully curated system. You can listen to whoever you want to listen to. And on the other end of the, the, the spectrum, the people that are more progressive in, in their theology, they are only seeing what their what that side of the fence is projecting. And so they progressively get further and further apart and have less empathy for one another. You know, this is one of the reasons why I intentionally follow people I don't agree with, because I don't want to give the algorithm the satisfaction of pushing me one way or the other. You know, I I want to have balanced inputs. Yeah, well, just think about news in this country. The two major newspapers, The Australian and The Age, Mm. one is left-leaning, one's right-leaning. And perfectly frank, I have to, I read both in order to get both sides of the story, because if you just listen to one or the other, you're just going to get a biased point of view. There, it's it's completely useless to get your news from one or the other. You need both to actually understand what's happening. Yeah. And sometimes both of them will ignore the situation. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because it's not popular. So basically what you guys are saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that computers are capable of controlling our thoughts mm-hmm. by you know, putting forward the same kind of content over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we become addicted to them, they're also able to control our actions uh, when our sense of purpose comes from the, the the device, the social media account, the whatever, where we're constantly looking for that next dopamine hit that you're talking about, Luke. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the problem with those things is that computers are deficient. They don't have the complexity that a human being does in that they've been programmed to, to, to help us you know, think in a certain way or do in a certain way. Whereas when you have a conversation with a real person, their views are a lot more complex than that. Mm-hmm. And so you're enabled to see different perspectives other than your own. Yeah. I'd even go beyond that and say that while you're online, it's a lot easier to dehumanize the person and therefore their point of view. And therefore, you can say not only that they're completely wrong, that they're completely and utterly evil. Instead of, if you were in person, you're um, far less likely to do that, and you're far um, more likely to actually listen and begin to understand the other point of view. 
So the real danger then is not big data, mm. not social media, mm. not algorithms. It's ourselves, yeah? Yeah. Mm. Like, yeah. Ult- ultimately, you can either let the thing control you mm-hmm. or you can control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a it's an important tool. Um, as an accountant, I'm learning more and more about big data because it's going to be playing a much bigger role in our lives in the coming couple of decades. We have seen nothing compared to what's what's coming. Big data is only going to expand and it's going to be involved even in small business eventually. Mm. So, yeah, we we need to understand that it's a tool and basically not let it control our lives. Instead, we need to see its benefits and try and move away from the negatives that will inevitably come up and come up even more. Mm. Yeah. So... I was just chuckling before, Luke, when you said that you intentionally follow people that you disagree with mm-hmm. because I was thinking, you imagine what somebody before social media would have thought of you when you said that. You know, you're, <laughs> when following you're just like was randomly it. stalking somebody down the street <laughs> that you disagree with. And it just made me think maybe maybe an interesting principle that we could we could be aware of, it might not always be applicable, but maybe to, to have a, a think about would be following people literally comparatively to the, the the amount of people that we follow online. So what what I mean by that is if there's this extreme contrast between our online activity and our in-person activity, mm-hmm. that probably indicates that we're letting social media and on the online world control our lives a little bit much mm-hmm. to the point where our gratification, our interaction, all of that happens online in this world that is like you were saying Ben sheltered by the what would you say uh, it's it's not we, we don't have to deal with you know somebody disagreeing with us to our face online and so it's it's sheltered in that way yeah um, whereas if we're having real interactions yeah I think I think it makes us better people so I just wonder whether it would be interesting an interesting experiment to try to to spend as much time with people in person as we do with people online uh, to try to keep that balance mm. Mm. Yeah, that is a that is a really good a really good thought because I, I I don't know about you guys, but I certainly feel that when I'm when I meet with people in person, there there is a richness to the interaction that it's very difficult to get online. I mean, like right now we're recording via Zoom, but you know we were talking just before we started recording how deficient this experience is when you compare it to getting together in person. Yep, totally. I think the other thing, as you were saying, is with the, the social media is it pushes us towards the extremes. And I think when we're meeting in person, we can kind of flesh out ideas because let's face it, the, the average person, to go back to that analogy with politics, has views from the left and the right. Yes. I think the average person has, they've got a mix um, of that. And if you talk to people more face-to-face, you'll actually pick up on that. And it becomes a lot harder to demonize people that way as well. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we, we've harped on about for years in this podcast, that, you know, if you get to know somebody, then you're much less likely to throw out their ideas because you have respect and love for that individual, regardless of mm. what they think. Like, you know, as we've said many times, you know, even between us, there are issues upon which we disagree, but we love each other. So, you know, we're the, we're the, mm-hmm. we're the best mates. And so we're just going to say, okay, you see it that way, but that doesn't change that. I, th- you know, that I think you're a great bloke. It just means that we disagree on that particular point. Mm. Mm. And when you get to meet people, um, 
face-to-face in that sort of interaction, you begin to see that just because they hold these ideas doesn't make them evil. There's a reason why they hold them, and you often skip over that online, don't you? You don't find the reasoning behind it, and it's a case of, well, I don't understand. And Mm. then we all of a sudden go off and assume the worst of the person. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which we don't, in especially in our own group, because we know each other so well. We know that even if we disagree on something, we 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 hold these beliefs because we want the best for people, even if we disagree. For sure. And so I think I think this is probably a good place for us to to land this one. But I just feel like this topic is really big. I feel like we'll probably come back to the the social media thing because it is such a, a big part of our our experience these days and and how to use it. I think I think we only really just scratched the surface on how we can use it responsibly. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about the core idea of, you know, fearing big data and social networks and that. But I think we've probably only just skimmed the surface of the positive aspects of it. And so I think we should probably deal with a part two sometime uh, looking at that side of the picture. So, uh, but for now, I think we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for sticking with us through this entire episode. And we look forward to catching you guys next week. God bless. And that's the end of another episode. Just before I head off, I want to encourage you to go over to our page on Facebook and also our account on Instagram and follow us there because that is where we interact with our listeners and we would love for you to enter in and join the conversation. Also, while you're signing up, I would also recommend signing up to our mailing list on our website, oztabletalk.com.au. If you do that, you will receive our exclusive content because occasionally we do release exclusives and they only go out to our mailing list so i would strongly recommend you go and sign up for that if you have a few more minutes to be one of the most amazing listeners on the planet you can go over to itunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review because reviews help us to grow and they help other people to find us so if you want to help us reach those goals please jump in and give us a review the final message that i'd like to leave you with is to let you know about our patreon account now Patreon is a way for creators to get paid for creating and ultimately what we do does cost money to get us hosted and have the services that we need to run the podcast and so if you'd like to help us do that jump over onto patreon.com slash oztabletalk and you can you can give anything from even a dollar a month upwards but at different levels there are different benefits different rewards that we want to give you just to say thank you for being an amazing supporter of ours if you can't afford that we would just gratefully accept your prayers because that is what our ministry runs on. And so with that, I will leave you to your day and thank you so much for listening to this episode. We look forward to seeing you guys next week.